0: And you can imagine, if tomatoes are that close to us, how utterly different an alien would be. Nothing about all of that. I mean, I wouldn't buy a used car from these guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's tragic. Aristotle was right.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Mustreader, and this is my podcast on rationality, transhumanism, biohacking and trends of development in society. Today, here with me is Joe Davis a research affiliate in the Department of Biology at MIT and in the George Church Laboratory at Harvard Medical School, godfather of bioart and space art, an artist that is choose the science versus art argument and, in my opinion, one of the most interesting artists out there. Thank you so much for joining, John.
0: My pleasure, sir.
1: You have so many amazing, really mind bending projects. You uh, have sent sounds of vaginal contractions uh, into space. You uh, have edited the DNA of uh, mice to encode there a map of the Milky Way. You play jazz to E. coli bacteria. You channel lightning bolts uh, into uh, lasers. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the project that you are most
0: proud of? I... it's so hard to answer, you know. Um, because projects just sort of come automatically. You don't... I don't really... Uh, I suppose that the most uh, important project is, practically speaking, would be Micro-Venus, the first bio-art. Um, yeah. But, you know, to me personally, <laughs> I made sculptures in Mississippi that would, before I ever came to MIT that were uh, made out of automotive chrome and motorcycle exhaust pipes, welded sculptures that uh, were sitting around my yard in Mississippi. And uh, the city ordered them against the law. And if I didn't remove them from my property in 14 days or something like that, they were going to throw them in the Gulf of Mexico for fish habitats and and then charge me for the operation. So I, I undertook a media campaign. Half the city wrote petitions for the work. Half the city wrote petitions against <laughs> the work. There was an election going on. One of the candidates took was in favor of the sculpture, one was against, the museum curator from New Orleans came over and said, this is art, and they said, no, it's not, it's junk, but I won, I won, the. I kept my sculptures, in fact, I ended up selling most of them, <laughs> I think I'm proudest of that.
1: Well, that's that's really touching, because uh, uh, many would have thought that you would mention some, some more grandiose projects of yours, but...
0: But yeah, it's understood. Because,
1: because it's from your early
0: early days as an artist? Well, I had already graduated from college. It was from my early 20s, I guess.
1: And now, now you have so many other new interesting projects. I have uh, just today finished watching a documentary about you. Uh, Heaven, Earth, uh, Joe Davis. It's uh, fantastic. I recommend everybody watch it. Uh, and uh, how is I, the
0: Russian? The Russian uh, subtitles are new. How is that? Uh,
1: Did I didn't, you... I didn't uh, watch it with subtitles, I didn't know but there are subtitles. There's,
0: there's a brand new version available uh, with Russian subtitles for free so long as the pandemic lasts.
1: Hmm, interesting. I will link it below also for my Russian audience. So, uh, I, I, when I watched and uh, tried to take in all of your projects, Uh, the question that came to my mind was about uh, the projects involving sending uh, messages to space. Uh, Vaginal contraptions, uh, for example. uh, I found it great and really amusing, but uh, I got a question. Uh, Have you read The Three-Body Problem? No. Uh, It's a a great I book, know. By the I way. know.
0: Yeah. It's actually but, part of a series of books, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a great series of books. Uh, <coughs> because uh, uh, it, it raises uh, the problem of the dark forest. Not not just this book, many many people have discussed it. Stephen Hawking, for example, uh, mentioned it as well. This problem uh, that maybe, maybe, if we send something into space, the aliens, if they exist, are going to come take our women
0: ground take uh, up women for example be, <laughs> yeah uh, there was a there's a 50s science fiction movie called Mars needs women have you seen that <laughs> I've great. seen the posters <laughs> of it <laughs> um, we think th- these guys think the aliens are us <laughs> right that's why they expect them to behave that way um, I mean it's some science fiction writers, in particular, are very much opposed to efforts to communicate with extraterrestrials, David Brin among them, um, but I think that's foolish. I mean, you think we are uh, 70% genetically identical with tomatoes. That is, we make 70% of the same proteins and genes that mm-hmm. tomatoes make, and yet... The tomatoes refuse to speak to us, and you can imagine if tomatoes are that close to us, how utterly different an alien would be. So, I mean, the whole idea of intelligence may be an anthropic concept. Like, um, there are other creatures on our own planet with larger brain mass to body size ratio than we have, and we can't communicate with them either and see anytime you send a message to anyone like me right now sending a message to you i'm saying this this is who i am and this is what i know but that's if aristotle knew you had to reveal yourself to yourself before you could reveal yourself to anyone else he called it uh, a principle of recognition and reversal in his his great work, Poetics. But see, he, he knew that it's impossible to reveal yourself to yourself. That's why he considered it the greatest principle of tragedy. It's the return of Martin Gere. It's um, Dorothy didn't need to fight the Wicked Witch. She could have clicked her heels together the whole time and gone back to Kansas. It's Oedipus. It's this theme that resonates throughout the history of art and literature that we can't reveal ourselves to ourselves. It's sort of humanly impossible. But anytime we make a message to extraterrestrials, we have to attempt that. We have to attempt to reveal ourselves, this search for self. Um, And I think, this is really the most important reason to continue the search, not to go find little green men and flying saucers.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's a really deep observation. Although, uh, as far as I remember, those uh, plagues sent on the Pioneer uh, do not contain any like, deep philosophical issues raised. They're just like information, uh, basic information on us not
0: uh, right. Not, not something... Mm-hmm. Attempting to reveal ourselves to ourselves. We sent images of male genitalia, but no, But we censored all the images of female genitalia. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And now, we worry, and now we worry about why the flying saucers come down here and abduct us to experiment with our sex <laughs> organs. Go figure.
1: Yeah, but the question I wanted to ask is if... Uh, if there is intelligence in uh, other life forms on other planets, uh, in other star systems, maybe in other galaxies, and if they receive all those messages, won't they uh, think that uh, we may pose danger <coughs> to them and uh, not just uh, abduct some uh, innocent women but uh, uh, attempt to destroy us? And that's a serious question. Uh, uh, would you put uh, uh, all humanity uh, at risk
0: due to... <laughs> I think that's very that. foolish. I, I, don't, I don't agree. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're coming to destroy us. I mean, the, all of the resources that, that we could ever produce on the planet are equal to and mass beyond what's available in, on the other planets and in the asteroid belt. I mean, what do they need from us besides our women? I don't know. <laughs> never know. I, I think know. I think that jumping to the conclusion that they are so much like us that they would come, they, they would be like the conquistadors in South America, uh, I think that's a ridiculous assumption. Well, I certainly hope they are not like conquistadors,
1: but I can't rule out the possibility, like fully.
0: Back in 1974, a U.S. senator. Uh, Trying to think of his name. Anyway, he started the um, the Golden Fleece Awards, where he ran. A, um, he he every month he issued a new Golden Fleece Award to somebody who was cheating the government. You know, selling a hammer for hundred dollars and a nail for twenty five. Um, the the people who were doing this got the Golden Fleece Award. Well, at some point. He gave a Golden Fleece Award to the whole community of astronomers who were searching for extraterrestrial intelligence because mm. they had spent a million dollars and they had never come up with little green men and flying saucers. And so any any attempt to... Uh, and so then the, the government withdrew funds for searches for extraterrestrials. And, and so anybody who went against the grain... Um, uh, would lose their funding, right? Um, and so, for that reason, it had been, by the time I transmitted Rubisco stars from Puerto Rico in 2009, it had been 35 years since any uh, serious message had, had been transmitted to extraterrestrials, that's, and since any attempt to transmit an interstellar message had been made. 35 years. I, and I think this sort of xenophobia, this paranoia, may have been very convenient because it didn't really exist before the, the prescription. What was his name? Senator... You'll come to me.
1: We'll put his name in the description of the video. Yeah. So, because of that, you think that uh, it's uh, unreasonable to be afraid of that? So, yes, they, yes. they will be fully, fully different from us, right? Okay, okay, but 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 I can uh, I I really sympathize with the idea of leaving a, a trace of humanity, of uh, documenting it for future generations, for aliens, for whomever will come. Uh, by the way, if you uh, if you got to pick, like the most important objects of art. Uh, to leave ah, after Senator humanity. William
0: Proxmire, Senator ah, William okay. Proxmire, okay, from okay. Wisconsin. Okay, <laughs> if you had so, to choose, sorry, next question had, was.
1: Yeah, if you had to choose the most important objects of art throughout human history to show the aliens or maybe some uh, far descendants of humanity, show them what we made. What would that be?
0: You know, I always imagine uh, the aliens calling us up on the phone, going, <clears throat> Hello, we're the aliens. Um, we got your message. We, we're we just confused about one thing. Uh, what's all this stuff about divinity? And then we mm-hmm. go, um, Hmm can you hold the phone? And then we'd, bam, bam, we'd have this big conflict. And, uh, and then if there was any survivors, somebody would go back to the phone and go, um, can we call you back on this? <laughs> See, we publish all the great works of literature in in sets of volumes like the Harvard classics that have Cervantes and Thousand and One Nights and Shakespeare and uh, Voltaire and all of them, all of the greatest works of literature, one set of volumes. Um, But so far, the human race is not mature enough to publish. There is no great set of volumes about divinity It's never been published. The human race is simply not mature enough to deal with that situation. When you think about it, there's now growing evidence that even Neanderthals and other species of homo uh, had some kind of religious belief system. Mm -hmm. We know that from their burial goods. Yeah. It could be that divinity is some... Inherent part of the human brain that there are some religious experiences that no well there are some psychopathologies that are tied to religious experience like temporal lobe epilepsy there are brain enzymes associated with religious experience there's some researchers have uh, been able to activate uh, parts of the brain with MRI and and initiate artificially religious experience but see that tells me that divinity is part of all of us that, um, that 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 whatever it is divinity is the sum of all the human brains of all the human consciousness all over the world and and this is the reason why we've been to this day chopping each other to pieces but every time we kill one of us we make that divinity a smaller thing, right? It's, um, it's a kind of thermo- agreement with religion and thermodynamics. <laughs> hmm. I don't, I, I'm not a, a really spiritual guy, but I don't think we I don't think that, I mean, that would be the one thing to answer your question to give them that um but 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 it doesn't exist yet that's what you're saying that's the one what about divinity mm-hmm. there's no reason why it shouldn't exist there's same. the reason that it doesn't exist is sort of the same reason why there was no external female genitalia on the voyager <laughs> there it's the same reason why there were no nude human images no there was no external female genitalia on the pioneer Pioneer, and there were no human images on the voyager plaques and nasa censored it was the reagan era nasa censored gray's textbook anatomy illustrations of the human urogenital system from the information that was on the record some 70 percent of which were these uh slow scan video images i mean we Slow scan, is, uh, mm-hmm. slow scan video is an obsolete form of video telecommunications where you take a video still frame and convert it into a sequence of audio beeps some 8 to 72 seconds, something like that. And um, It's the kind of, when we got the first information from the moon it was like these stripe by stripe bit lines of pixels. That's slow scan video. Well, they didn't send a video, they didn't send the CRT, they didn't, the computer processor, they didn't didn't send the record player, (laughs) they didn't send, but even so deeply encrypted, they removed the textbook anatomy illustrations of human beings. Like, aliens aren't entitled to know what we look like because we're too stupid.
1: Well, that's that's uh, strange. Why 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 let this out?
0: Yeah, it's part of the tragedy of revealing yourself to of our failure to reveal ourselves to ourselves. The same thing with my little my little tirade about divinity. It's a shame. It's tragic. Aristotle was right.
1: And the existing like sacred texts, uh, the Bible, for example, Quran. Uh, you you don't uh, think they would serve as uh, such examples if you take all the main religious texts of all major religions, for example. Wouldn't that uh, suffice?
0: Well, it's interesting. All the different religions disagree with themselves, much less with each other. Um, Yeah, I think if you took all of the texts of all of the major religions and put it into a a sequence... uh, put it into a document, and were able to, was able to send that, I think that would be a wonderful thing. but Because in each one of them, there's this eat kernels of wisdom. There's some mm-hmm. wonderful stuff. But some of it's ridiculous, seems ridiculous. Uh, but some of it seems wonderful. Uh, and, it, you know, it's the whole thing, I think. It's not just one thing. I mean, all of our problems come from being stuck on one thing, one way to work, one job, one wife, get in one car, go the same way to work, back and forth to the same box and come back <laughs> again and, you know, have one religion. We didn't evolve to do just one thing. We evolved to do everything. We had to go, like, make the tools and um, uh, find the tree with the best fruit and uh, and you know, uh, whatever, we had to do everything. And I think I think that's sort of automatically part of us. We all have the same capacity for science and mathematics, art and poetry somewhere locked inside of us.
1: Well, uh, you mentioned divinity as the first example of what you would choose to represent humanity
0: what else what would i the messages for the future the messages for civilizations like,
1: like the messages maybe some pieces of art that would represent us the most important works of art in your opinion
0: art is um designed for human beings i mean we ourselves have a hard time understanding art from other cultures. From right. music and painting and graphics and dance and all of these things don't really translate culture to culture among human beings very well. The trick is got to be because, you know, you choose to, if you make such a message, you choose to represent all of humanity. The trick is you have to make a real effort to do that. So, how would you explain art? It would be like the problem of explaining divinity. I think these my several projects in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence were, in themselves, they were art already. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was yeah. you know art doesn't have to be an object; it just has to hold an idea. God, that's dead air. <laughs> You want to ask me another question? I hope I answered your question. <laughs> uh,
1: well, uh, it's a it's a deep topic uh, that uh, art may probably be inexplic- inexplicable for like other forms of life, or maybe out of their grasp of our understanding, especially if they. If they have different like thinking process at all so yeah i think ascent, I, I can agree with you
0: i sent uh, before i transmitted rubisco stars i mean all the other messages are about what hospitable nice people we are you know how welcoming we would be there like that we have we have uh, rational scientific attitudes and uh <sighs> Nothing about the truth about all of the genocides and conflicts and Mm -hmm. bloodbaths and, you know, nothing about the persecutions of each other and ethnic conflicts and nothing about all of that. I mean, I wouldn't buy a used car from these guys, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, When we transmitted Rubisco stars from Arecibo, while we were setting up to do the transmission, I sent a song by a friend of mine about a sinking ship. The song was called Run, Come, See Jerusalem by Andrew Jones. It was a cover, I guess. He, he's a Bahamian singer. Yeah. <laughs> How would you, uh, would you hide from the truth? <laughs> Maybe if we sent the truth, they'd have a reason to come get rid of us.
1: Yeah, I think so. That's why we didn't risk it. Joe, you're also called uh, a godfather of bio art, And uh, the art projects in this area that you have performed really blow the mind. But also, I, I found out that you are associated with the DII bio movement. Can you please tell those viewers unaware of it what it is?
0: Uh, well, DIY Bio, they like to uh, announce that I'm one of their um, progenitors, but you know, I never did much work at home in my own workshops, especially I never did anything with. Uh, genetically-modified organisms at home. It's often been announced that I am I, uh, associated with the founding of this uh, these ideas uh, of s- science being performed outside of the institution. Maybe it's because I contribute to scientific knowledge from outside the field, perhaps. Um, but I never feel like I never felt like I really earned that uh, that designation that I that I'm one of the founders of DIY biology community biology. I um, I mean I'm very supportive when I can be, but I don't really feel like I deserve uh, the designation as its founder.
1: Well, at least you are. Uh a very important figure, uh, and inspirational leader, I would say, for many those who try to perform some experiments, for example, with DNA, editing, drawing inspiration from your art, bioart projects. I wanted to ask you, by the way, what do you think about biohacking in general? People who try to improve their own uh, Bodies sometimes edit their own DNA.
0: I believe it's unethical to do self-experimentation, yes.
1: Why? Because uh, they, are, they, they don't uh, harm other people, they experiment on themselves. Why is it unethical?
0: You, well, they don't know if they don't harm other people. Hmm. There was, when we made the... When Paul Berg and others created the very first recombinant organisms, that used... Uh, DNA sequences from a a simian virus, SV40, and they mixed this, they inserted that DNA into the common bacterium that lives in human beings, E. coli. Well, at that point, scientists realized that they were working with powerful new tools and they didn't really understand the consequences of that kind of activity. And so, in a very unique moment, for the first time in history, probably the last time, all of molecular biology, which was a much smaller field back then, uh, enacted a moratorium worldwide. They stopped all fundamental research, recombinant research, involving putting DNA from one organism into another organism. While they worked out guidelines, they convened at a place called Asilomar, California. And for two years, they they worked out these guidelines. In fact, they rushed to put together guidelines to uh, how to pursue this ethically and safely. And uh, those guidelines were later adopted by the National Institutes of Health. And after that, Pretty much worldwide by biosafety, uh, by, by, safety, by regulate, government regulators all around the world. And yeah, we, so. We don't mm-hmm. really remember that. Most people don't remember that. But part of those guidelines make it unethical to do, to, uh, to, it was always unethical in science to do self experimentation. Uh, considered it unethical. Uh, but yeah, sometimes self-experiments... The the yeah. there, there was a guy who injected himself with like part of the Bible or something. The chances are astronomically unlikely that any sequence from the Bible or anything else would uh, translated into DNA would actually end up producing any patho- pathogenic material, would have any pathological consequences but
1: he didn't know. I don't know why that person did it, but uh, some uh, scientists uh, did self experimentation with uh, really benevolent purposes and helped uh, move uh, certain uh, scientific uh, advancements forward, like right. uh, Alexand- uh, Alexander As- Shulgin, maybe, or or Pasteur, right? Louis Pasteur, to... yeah, yeah. So it isn't always unethical, right?
0: The results may not always be, um, may not have always have negative impacts, but uh, you know, these tools are extremely powerful. And it is possible that we could do something inadvertent that would be terribly destructive. I don't think this is in conflict with creativity and innovation. I think uh, that, you know, artists, a lot of artists' interactions with science are highly political, you know, I'd rather than being an in interaction with science seem to be interactions against science. Um, you know, they, they take uh, big agribusiness to task for, uh, releasing recombinant crops, but then they commit the same. They say it's okay if Monsanto does it, then we can do it too, right? It's like uh, they become victims of their own irony. I think um, I think there's every there are very good reasons to be careful about. How we deal with these materials and to abide by um, international agreements for their ethical and for their ethical use and for biosafety. I mean, it it took me many years to open the doors to the laboratory, to get science to recognize that art can make a significant contribution to knowledge. Um, and one way to slam those laboratory doors would be to ignore principles of ethical conduct.
1: Well, sure, ethics is very important in, in this in this and area. And biosafety. And biosafety. When we spoke a couple of days ago, you mentioned your new project that also concerns divinity, which we discussed uh, today. Can you please uh, tell me more about it?
0: I mean, I don't want you to get the wrong idea, I'm not, um, I mean, I'm really fascinated with the ideas about divinity, I mean, from an intellectual standpoint, I, I, so I uh, have a friend who I met a few years ago, who's a, a Sufi master, he, a couple of years ago on one of my trips out west to California, I met this guy, Yasser Shadli, he's a, um, A Sufi mystic, and he's, uh, how can I describe him? He's, uh, I'd say, a middle-aged guy, Mediterranean complexion, uh, salt and pepper beard. He's full of knowledge, full of wisdom, esoteric wisdom. And we had hours of discussion about philosophy, divinity, secrets of the universe in general. And at some point, he told me how to make angels. According to tradition, if you say this certain phrase in Arabic, an angel is automatically created. And it doesn't matter, like Tibetan prayer flags, it doesn't matter whether you speak the phrase or you write the phrase or you cause it to be printed or you cause someone else to speak the phrase on your behalf. You speak the phrase, and an angel is made, and you get an angel. And the phrase is Subhanallah, which means hallelujah in English. I'm not sure what that would mean in Russian, probably something similar. Yeah. Uh, But we never knew that every time you say it, an angel gets made, so... So I I instantly, it occurred to me that with the tools of molecular biology, uh, I could change the whole demographic of heaven. George Church and I calculated that uh, something like 60 million Muslims over all the time that Islam has existed, saying subhanallah 100 times a day would give us about a quadrillion angels. But uh, we can make fifty quadrillion angels by PCR, uh, like overnight. And uh, there's a very nice way to abbreviate um, Arabic. It's uh, it's a kind of numerology where numbers you give numbers to the consonants in the word, and uh, so this phrase "Subhanallah" can be. Mm -hmm. Um, can be contained in only four DNA bases uh, A, G, A, G which if you repeat uh, is gaga, 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 gaga Mm -hmm. so I want to get in touch with Lady Gaga (laughs) 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 and uh, phosphoramidite synthesis is cheaper than PCR Um, right now I'm just figuring out the the best way to handle this as a distance biology project, since because of the quarantine restrictions, I don't have direct access to lab, still as of now. Uh, But I can synthesize this DNA commercially by vendor services uh, and even uh, have it inserted into vectors called plasmids and uh, cloned into bacteria, all of this can be done commercially and then uh, sent to lab. But again, so we, mm-hmm. microvenous, the first the first information keeping bacterium uh, was never released into the environment for the same principles, of, according to the same principles of biosafety that, uh, that we discussed a few minutes ago. I, and so, I don't know, I, these these angel making bacteria will have to stay in containment in biological containment, although I do expect to send them around the world to laboratories elsewhere. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> stand by, there's going to be a lot of angels. <laughs> that's
1: that's extremely beautiful. Uh, I, I hope the religious people won't be uh, offended
0: by it. I because think either. it's. You know. I, I don't think they. I don't think there's a legitimate reason for them to be offended. I mean, uh, "Hallelujah" literally is uh, means something like "Praise God." Etymologically, how could a religious person have take offense to that?
1: Well, uh, not with the phrase itself, but maybe with the medium.
0: With Some too, many might find it strange. Or, too many angels. Strange. Too many angels. You have or, to, or you have too to many. keep. Maybe <laughs> they'd be concerned that we have to keep the balance of power. We can't have too <laughs> many angels on one side. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: what do you think uh, is the future of art? Will there be more synergy between science and art? And if yes, uh, in in what ways?
0: Science, engineering, mathematics—they don't have a franchise on creativity and innovation in many ways science engineering and mathematics are already highly poetic it's just that researchers don't always recognize those elements I think you know um, C.P. Snow wrote his famous book about the two cultures Mm -hmm. uh, back in the early 50s I think Uh, But now, and that's still referred to about how we have these two distinct cultures in the world. But I think that's a little short-sighted. I think it's, at this point, it's too late to divide them up. They're already so interpenetrated. Maybe it's because the the world has become an increasingly smaller place that... uh, ideas circulated now so much more freely and widely than ever before. I'm really proud to be a member of George Church's laboratory and I was very proud to be a member of Alexander Rich's laboratory that, that is sort of acknowledges the possibility that um, art can contribute to science and science can contribute to art. Artists have always been interested in the secrets of life. Right. Uh, yeah. When we um, when we graduated from being uh, hunter gatherers to uh, to take up agriculture, simultaneously there was the, suddenly there appeared many new species of plants and animals that never existed before agriculture. Agriculture allowed for civilization and scholarship, and so and the writing of legends and literatures, and those literatures are full of stories about some magical control over those powers of vitality and function that distinguish life and death. Like the search for self, this, um, this quest for the secrets of life has also resonated throughout the history of art and literature, I mean, it's, it's like, after all, Daphne turns into a tree, and uh, Michelangelo threw his hammer at the Moses, going, por me no mi parley, why don't you speak to me? Um, uh, Moses threw down his staff in Pharaoh's court and turned it into a snake, and Aaron did too, and then Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing, apparently. And uh, there's some reports from ancient literature that say Daedalus of Daedalus and Icarus fame, mm-hmm. that Daedalus animated uh, his sculptures of Aphrodite with liquid mercury. And then, of course, there's Pygmalion, the sculptor king, who uh, who carved this marble woman, Galatia, that he fell in love with. And he, he was so sad and upset at, about falling in love with his marble sculpture that the goddess took pity on him and brought his statue to life it's frankenstein and wolfman and the mummy it's in our own legends and um it should come as no surprise that uh artists have a stake in molecular biology
1: when you describe it it sounds very logical (laughs) although it's not as obvious for many people who who don't think in this way. But there will be more thinking
0: like this. Right? But it's not just biology. It's physics and chemistry and mathematics. I mean, one of the... Mathematics is so beautiful. The things I hate to hear artists like come to me and say, I've decided to become an artist because I hate mathematics. And this is like disregards history that art a lot to do with the creation of mathematics as we know it.
1: Yeah, many mathematicians were artists, and vice versa, like Leonardo da Vinci or Pythagoras. Right?
0: Did you know that Galileo collected buttons?
1: No. <laughs> yeah. Did he have a big collection?
0: Apparently. So it's I all collect plastic bugs.
1: Plastic bugs?
0: At the, end of the, at the end of the interview, I'll move the camera into the other room. You can see my bug collection. I cut wings off some and glue wings on others and paint them different colors. I buy them online and in the toy store and... Uh, I have a plastic bug collection.
1: That's uh, interesting. Show
0: me. Um, hold on. You know, nothing is ever just one thing, you know, philosophers have discussed this for a long time, that things are both explicit and implicit. Everything is always several things at once. I think that's important uh, when we think about art and science.
1: Nothing can be just one thing. Right. I I think that's an important thought to take away from this discussion. Thank you so much, Joe. This has been very thought-provoking for me and I'm sure many of our viewers and listeners are going to enjoy this and will want to check out your art. I will give some links in the description of the video for all interested. So do feel free to explore. I think art is amazing and the fact that it evolves and that it moves borders and eliminates borders between science and art and rational and irrational, that's, that's just beautiful and that's inevitable. That's something that should continue and develop. And Joe is one of, one of the people that made this possible. So thank you so much, Joe. I'm Greg Mastreeder. Hit like if you like this video, hit subscribe and hit the bell button not to miss the new videos on my YouTube channel. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify and other podcasting platforms if that's where it's more convenient to listen to the podcast. Please write a comment in the comment section to let me know what you think about Joe and this podcast and support me on Patreon if you like what I'm doing. I'm Greg Mastrider. See you next week.